number one reason that I've seen and experienced that businesses fail, lack of focus. When you're first starting out, as we did, number one goal is like, make it to tomorrow. That's all you think about, right? I got payroll. I just got to sell something. Doesn't matter really what it is. We'll just got to sell it. And then as you mature, you start to sort of hunt with a rifle and not a shotgun. But then when you get beyond that, it's hard to say no because everything's exciting. Everything's an opportunity. Welcome to the Joe Momo Presents podcast. This is the Calgary Leader Series. Let's start the show. I'm super excited to have my next guest on the podcast. He's the co-founder, or he's the founder, sorry, and CEO of VistaView Solutions. Welcome to the podcast, Jory. Yeah, thanks, Joe. It's uh, great to be here and congratulations on your podcast. Looking forward to being part of it. Yeah, absolutely. So let's just dive right into it. Uh, who is Jory Lamb? What are you up to? What do you do? Yeah, so, um, so my name is Jory Lamb. I'm the CEO and founder of VistaView Solutions. We are about a 100-person system integrator and uh, focus primarily uh, in the mid-market. We work a lot with companies between 50 to 500 million, putting in single fully integrated systems with staff dotted across North America. So that's, that's who I am. And then outside of work, I am a father of three children and um, happily married for 14 years and counting. Awesome. And yeah, you mentioned that you're the founder of VistaView. Uh, you guys have been uh, in business for a long time. You've had many accreditations, many uh, accomplished accomplishments and uh, awards. Uh, so I'd like to just back it up a little bit uh, to your origin story. How were you always an entrepreneur? What were you like growing up as a, as a young adult? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, thanks for the question. I laugh because um, the young version of me was pretty intense. So uh, the older version's learning to mellow out. Um, so grew up in Lloydminster. If you were born in Lloydminster, you have a Saskatchewan birth certificate because the hospital in Lloydminster, which sits on the border of Alberta and Saskatchewan, is in Saskatchewan. So with those roots, went to the University of Saskatchewan, which is where my dad also went to. And uh, he, uh, he told me, Jory, you can pick any, any university you want, but this check is being written to the University of Saskatchewan. So <laughs> my choice was pretty clear early on. Went there, met some wonderful people, took finance, so took business, but focused on finance. 80 of us graduated, eight of us had jobs. Um, so you basically went where they hired you. I had my one offer. My one job was at Amico Petroleum in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And uh, and I went to work for Amico. I was 21. They treated me like gold. I really appreciated my time there. But at the same time, while I was there, we were about, mm, I think around 2,500 or so staff they were divesting out of the Western Canadian sedimentary basin. So another way to say that is they were handing out layoffs every year, like clockwork. And by the time I was 23, I'd been there a couple of years. Again, very good company, treated me very well, no complaints. I kind of felt like I wanted to do something more. I felt like my reality was if I showed up on Monday or if I didn't, it didn't really matter. They were the 25th largest company in the world. The machine would just keep 
keep turning. So I decided at that time to throw my hat in the ring for a voluntary package. And my manager quickly and gladly accepted my resignation, which told you about my future at Amico. And uh, and I took my $12,000 package, which I thought was like winning the lottery, and started what we now call VistaView Solutions. So, you know, through many twists and turns, which I'm, you know, happy to get into as much detail as you do or don't want to, uh, started as a 23-year-old and, uh, you know, 25 years later, we've, uh, we've grown up to be very different company with a very different <laughs> offering. And hopefully I'm a very different leader than I was uh, 25 years ago. Wow. That's, that's amazing. How was that jump from, you know, the biweekly paycheck first in the 15th to now starting your own business? Uh, well, how's that experience like for you? Yeah, that's a long time ago. So I think when I was hired, I was uh, like friends of mine who also graduated from finance and accounting um, they went to work and they were working for pennies on the dollar. I, I went to work for an oil and gas firm. So I, again, jackpot. And so going from that level of comfort, and again, appreciate this is 1996. So going from my 34,000, 32,000 a year salary, which was <laughs> a lot then, um, I remember the first year I stood up Vista View. I was working in my apartment. I lived on Fifth Avenue downtown uh, in this like 800 square foot apartment. And I think my salary was $13,000. So, you know, it comes with sacrifice, right? Like everyone knows that that's nothing new, but sometimes you eat steak and sometimes you eat beans. And that year I ate a lot of beans. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's, that's amazing. That's almost a third of your previous salary and each had to navigate through that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and again, it's, you know, it's, it's good. It was, it's not for everyone. And I certainly wouldn't um, try to prescribe my journey onto someone else, but it was the path that I needed to take. And uh, you know, as a 23 year old and I, I had tremendous aspiration, like I'm going to change the world. Um, And not that that's diminished. I still think I and the rest of this great team is going to change the world. Um, You know, you just, you just set out, take the first step and uh, do what you got to do. So you get, get to get to the next level. So it was good. (laughs) And you said you mentioned you started at U of S, uh, took your studies there, got a job, uh, and then shortly after jumped and did your own thing. I also noticed that you took the Wharton Executive MBA program and you've learned some things about businesses as well there. Is there anything golden nuggets you want to share with the listeners about uh, your experiences uh, at Wharton? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the best. So I learned a lot of lessons when I was at Wharton and I'll talk about a few of them. Um, number one lesson, if you really want to make money, sell money, but it was too late for me to be an investment banker or a private equity guy or a VC guy. I'm, you know, I was 41 when I went back to Wharton and, uh, but for all those young, bright, capable professionals that, that are money motivated of which I'm not really, but some are (laughs) certainly some of my colleagues were there as well. Best way to make money, sell money. The, the thing I took away is think bigger, like Jory, 
you're too pedestrian, you're too caught in your own sort of sphere. You got to think outside, you got to think in, in scale. And, uh, you know, I was really fortunate to be able to be in the program with Wharton in San Francisco. So they've got two, it's, it's the full MBA program. They bring you all of their MBA professors from Philadelphia. You fly to San Francisco every two weeks where you take class in person and you're rubbing shoulders with, you know, arguably some of the brightest minds in business. Certainly the professors there are very distinguished and well-published. And, and um, so I was really fortunate to be part of that program and even more fortunate to be in San Francisco to do it because in the room we had, you know, we had Google, we had Apple, we had Netflix, we had, and, and seeing how they, how those mid and upper level managers saw the world was invaluable for me as, as someone who spent a lifetime in tech. And uh, so all of that coming back full circle said, think bigger. So, so from that, and I'll just finish out two more thoughts. So from that, we did two really important things that I think has really changed the trajectory of our business. We had a good business. We had a profitable business. Um, you know, by all accounts, we could have kept going the way we were going and that would have been just fine. But me being me, always needing to kind of push, 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 achieve, achieve, achieve. The two things I left with, one, we're going to become 100% employee-owned. And, you know, that's something that a lot of people don't know about VistaView that I'm really, really proud of. We are 100% employee-owned. And the other one is we raised capital without diluting equity. So one hand kind of fits the other. So we went out and raised a bunch of capital we, we had a track record. We had a strong balance sheet. We were able to access, you know, debt financing at a very, very um, competitive price. And we raised that capital to go buy other companies that look, act, and felt like us. So we went on a, and are on a consolidation strategy. So we are very acquisitive right now. But, but all of that is to say, you know, I don't know all of your listeners out there, but our journey has said VC, private equity, um, family office, growth funds, like that is one way to get there. There is another. And there's a way you can get there by rewarding the people that have been there with you from the start. And so, you know, for me, if I talk about things I'm most proud of, I'm most proud of the fact we're 100% employee-owned. I'm also equally proud of the fact that we're building something that is, I think, um, in the industry we are in, really respected. And we are going to eventually get to a liquidity event whenever that day arrives. And I'll be so proud when I get a chance to write those checks to those people that have been with us 20 years, 15 years, 10 years, and, and give them a chance to reap the reward of, you know, their results, their loyalty, their effort. And uh, yeah, that's, to me, that's, that's a day that I, I look forward to. I'm not in a rush to get to, but I do look forward to. Just love to hear that. Just rewarding the people you build with. And it's really all about the people you surround yourself with. And I, I love that your employee owns, uh, given that's uh uh, value to the employees as well whenever that liquidity date is but uh, that's really that's that's really awesome to hear Jory thanks Joe for 
I guess uh, our listeners, uh, our listeners uh, listening, I guess, a little tongue twister, but uh, looking to get into entrepreneurship, uh, aspiring entrepreneurs, what sort of advice would you give to them uh, in their journeys to building their own successful businesses like you did? Yeah, I, you know what? I've been really fortunate along the way. I've um, I've had lots of great experiences. We've we've been recognized in multiple fronts, uh, and I think f- what all that has led to is me being exposed to a lot of entrepreneurs. And so, in my journey, I've been able to work with and mentor and coach many different entrepreneurs of different industries and more importantly, different leadership styles and, you know, introverts, extroverts, big picture detailed. And, and there's common themes that I see in those entrepreneurs that are most successful. One, they're extremely good at whatever they do, like their craft. They are like one of the top dentists or they are one of the top welders or so they're really good because they're passionate about what they do. And I think that affords them the chance to be really good. The second is they're really likable. <laughs> introvert extra it doesn't matter they're, they're really likable people people gravitate to them and then fill in the gaps around them so i think those two traits more than anything i see as being what drives success none of which is to say you know balance sheet cash flow strategy i would say this when I've coached and mentored different businesses, number one reason that I've seen and experienced that businesses fail, lack of focus, mm-hmm. chasing everything, this idea, that idea, this opportunity, that opportunity. And it's, it's tricky, right? You know, um, when you're first starting out as we did, number one goal is like, make it to tomorrow. That's all you <laughs> think about, right? I got payroll. I just got to sell something doesn't matter really what it is we'll just got to sell it and then as you mature you start to sort of hunt with a rifle and not a shotgun but in those early days it's hard to say no it's hard it's hard to say no for survival but then when you get beyond that it's hard to say no because because everything's exciting everything's an opportunity so i think focus is the first lesson i would tell an entrepreneur who is in the early stages of their life cycle for anyone thinking about getting into entrepreneurship, I would say take the first step. It is, it is, I see a lot of friends and colleagues that are pausing for perfection, right? Like they're going to build this great product or this great plan or this great, and, and the reality is the first idea is usually pretty terrible. <laughs> I know it wasn't my example. Awful, awful business plan, awful idea. And it's not uncommon to, you know, if, if we're willing to put our pride to the side, it's not hard to say, okay, you know what? We tried. That didn't quite get, that's not going to get us to the finish line. We're going to do something a little different. And, uh, but the secret is to just get on the path, take the first step. And it's amazing how many opportunities present themselves once you're on the path versus, you know, sitting in my apartment on Fifth Avenue dreaming about starting this business. And so... I maybe said those out of order, but then when all those opportunities appear, you have to hunt with a rifle, not a shotgun. I love how you say that. Uh, it's really almost sounds like analysis paralysis. You're kind of in your room, just thinking of all the different ways you can strategize and get, the, get this thing off the ground. But it's really at the end of the day, just 
taking the first step, like you say, and uh, <laughs> seeing what the data says out there. So, yeah, I think asking for help. I think a lot of entrepreneurs or would be entrepreneurs are, you know, can be at times timid to share their idea. You know, maybe it's a bad idea. Maybe they're worried someone will take their idea, but nobody's going to be more passionate about your idea than you. And there's so many people out there that want to help, that want to help you be successful, that want to help the industry be successful. So yeah, just get on the path and see where it takes you. I, I don't know that I would prescribe the same journey of like, quit your job, <laughs> <laughs> and eat beans for a year. I'm not sure that's part of my lesson. I might suggest you test some things and try some things while you have that stable income and give yourself the chance to have a little bit softer landing. But, you know, the 23-year-old the version of me was never going to listen to the 49-year-old version of me. So it didn't matter. He was going to just, he was just going to run straight head on into the wall, whether it killed him or not, didn't matter. So <laughs> a certain level of courage to do that as well. That's, uh, <laughs> well, when you talk about entrepreneurship, you we always see sort of the unicorns or the, the success stories, but there's obviously some challenges and um, barriers to success uh, on, along your journey. Uh, for you, Jory, was there any big challenge that sticks top of mind that you have to build that resilience to move past or um, anything you'd like to share with the listeners? Yeah, yeah. So, so arguably your best salesperson in your organization needs to be your founder, your leader. Like whether, whether they're selling a product or selling an idea or selling a vision, they need to be your best salesperson. Otherwise, you know, nothing, as the saying goes, nothing happens without a sale. So I am, I am 23 years old. I am wired more for accounting slash finance. Selling to me sounds scary or, you know, sounds like used car sales. Like it just, and so I found a million and one reasons not to pick up the phone, not to actually sell. Well, you can quickly imagine what, where that leads you when you're not selling, right? It's a, it's a short runway if you don't sell. So I would go out and I would sell something just enough to kind of pay the bills, to live, to fight another day. And then I would get back to doing whatever else I could to not sell, to avoid selling. And then uh, did that seesaw for a little while. In 2001, we were technically bankrupt. Debt was greater than assets. So negative equity means you're bankrupt. And I, and I remember this. I mean, I, we're all influenced by our experiences, right? And so this, this particular period of time really shaped me as a leader. Some, some really good things, some probably not so good things, but really, really shaped me as a leader. So if, if I can, I'll tell you just a couple stories of how this manifested itself into some of the challenges and what I, what I want to impart to the listeners is, so it's 2001, we're technically bankrupt and I'm just, I'm exhausted. Like I'm just, I've spent five years swinging, swimming against the current and it's been a hard slog. And, uh, and so then I just decide, you know what, I, I need a break. So I give $30,000. Our bills were way bigger than this to my bookkeeper. And I say, I'm going to Australia for six weeks. Sprinkle this around to all of our vendors. Keep them at bay. I'll be back. I promise I will be back. My, my visa will expire. They'll make me come home. So I'll be back. 
And she's just like, oh, oh, oh. but she does it, thankfully. And I get this $30,000 loan, love money from my parents. And so now I'm more indebted to them. And I go to Australia and I'm first couple of weeks. I don't want to think about it. I'm just, I'm beat and tired. End up on a bus stranded. A cyclone comes in. We're traveling up the East coast. Have you been to Australia, Joe? Not yet. <laughs> oh, you gotta go. It's an amazing country, <laughs> beautiful people and just beautiful scenery. So up the East coast, we get a cyclone that comes in and it strands us. The, the water starts rising and you know, it's covering the tires and we're just stuck in the middle of the road. So it's about two, two and a half weeks into the trip. And I say, okay, finally, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to, to think about this now. So, uh, so I'm on the bus and I pull out this book. It's called the E-Myth by Michael Gerber. And it, it's been around forever. Um, and I start reading it and reading it and reading it. And I'm kind of getting absorbed into it. And I realize, you know what? And I leave with this sort of, you know, four hours later on bus, just stranded on this bus in Townsville, outside of Townsville. I'm like, Jory, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. And that mindset, it's just, I don't know what happened, but a switch flipped and I'm like, time to get out from underneath your bed. Time to stop being scared. Time to start swinging for the fence because you're done. It doesn't matter now what happens. You're done. So I finish out my trip another three weeks and come back rip rare and ready to go and really kind of never looked back from there. We... You know, the things that I did, I surrounded myself with people who were good at areas of the business I wasn't because I wasn't bad at sales. I was actually really good at solving business problems. I was terrible at cold calling. Like who isn't, right? So, or many of us aren't. High extroverts, terrible at cold calling, need to be liked. (laughs) I want to hear no. So, so anyway, so I was like, okay, I'm going to, so went out and spend more money, which my bookkeeper probably lost her mind and surrounded myself with people who were going to compliment me, who were going to do some of those things that I, I was so desperately avoiding. And collectively, we dug ourselves out of our debt, paid my parents back, which again, if I could offer any suggestion, if you don't have to take love money, don't take love money because nothing, you know, for me, that just hung over my head like a guillotine, like, I may have taken and lost my parents' retirement fund. This was bad. So, and I love my parents, so really bad. So we we pulled ourselves out, paid the parents back, and we've kind of never looked back. And my, my leadership style today has really been influenced by that. That, you know, I'm people talk a lot about when they interview and try to hire this skill set, that skill set, this personality, that personality. I'm 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 a way bigger fan of team dynamics. When you add this person into the team, what does that look like? I'm a big hockey fan and, you know, um, go Flames. Sorry for anyone else listening that isn't a Flames (laughs) fan. But, uh, you know, you can't have five Goudreaux or if you're the Edmonton Oilers back in the day, you can't have five Wayne Gretzky's skating around the ice. That doesn't work. So I'm a big fan of team dynamics. And I think what really shaped my opinions as a leader is that event, that period of time, appreciating the importance of winning as a team, but gelling as a team. And so that, you know, that would be one of my 
my aha moments in, in my career from the challenges we faced. Mm. Yeah, I love the team dynamics. Uh, as my listeners know, I used to play uh, football at the University of Alberta. And I always have analogies from business and sports that it's really just about the team, uh, how the team gels and the team chemistry and everybody needs to play their own uh, position and their role on the team. So like you mentioned, no one could, not everybody could be Wayne Gretzky or Johnny Cadreau. Everybody has to have their own specific role and position on the team to make the team successful. So, <laughs> well, And I think football is just the perfect analogy because, you know, while the left tackle gets no love, no praise, no glory. It's always the quarterback, the receivers, and the and the running backs. They don't do their job. The whole play falls apart. The whole game, you know, you're gonna you're you're not gonna be able to execute. So I think football's like for business, it is the best sport for analogy. Yeah, good. Hey, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing I didn't want to touch on real quick when you're uh, sharing your story was that you read the E Myth Revisited. Uh, I've read that book. I love that book as well. Uh, yeah. Has there been any other books that you've read? Or maybe if that's the book that really stood out to you, maybe you could share one or two things that uh, our listeners would find valuable. Well, I'm a, I, I, I think similar to yourself, Joe, I think we share a voracious appetite for knowledge, right? We're, we're lifelong learners. So <clears throat> one book that was highly influential in our evolution as company was um, a book called Now Scaling Up at the time. It's called Mastering the Rockefeller Habits. It was by, it is by Vern Harnish. And he is the founder of the Growth Institute and and one of the early founders of EO. So in my journey, I had a chance to join. So I had a mentor, several actually through the years. If you don't have one and you're starting your own business or running your own business, it's, it's so imperative to have one. If nothing else, just for sanity. But there's so many smart business leaders in this community that can offer guidance and um, and are happy to help that it would be a mistake not to take advantage of it. So I had mentors. Then I joined EO, Entrepreneurs Organization, and, and was part of that for 10 years and definitely adopted a lot of the mastering the Rockefeller habits in our own business. Things like that, that people hear common day, but to at the time, maybe not. So daily huddles was something that was kind of new and novel. And so we introduced those. A one-page strategic plan, not not a book on your strategy, like one page, get it down. You know, we talk about um, like setting up priorities, KPIs, themes, having a theme for the quarter or for the year that you will sort of coalesce around. And so, you know, I, I think that's a really, for me, was a really influential book or learning. Um, I'm a big, big, big fan of uh, biographies and autobiographies of great leaders. And so, you know, one that I read uh, a while ago, but still sits with me is Team of Rivals, right? It's a story about Abraham Lincoln. And what's unique about that book, and what, I, what I've appreciated is just a bit about team dynamics, but the importance of dissenting opinions, how important it is to have people of you know, varying perspectives, varying backgrounds. I mean, he took some of his biggest rivals, people that wanted that presidential nomination, people that didn't respect him, people that thought he was headed in the wrong direction, and he put them in his cabinet. And that that group of people, which he so eloquently maneuvered through 
you know, achieved some pretty great things in their time. So, you know, I, I'm a big fan of leaders, great leaders. And if there's stuff I can glean from them. Absolutely. And that's why I started the podcast. I like learning from great leaders like yourself and uh, them sharing their experiences uh, for listeners. Maybe they could use some of their um, golden nuggets on their journeys and hopefully get as successful as them as well. Yeah, that's great. Glad we're here. (laughs) You mentioned uh, most entrepreneurs are voracious uh, readers or learners. Um, For you yourself, what's maybe something that you're really curious about uh, right now? Yeah, right now I'm I'm really curious about emotional intelligence, emotional quotient, you know, <clears throat> as I've described and I've left piece lots of pieces out in between sort of like the filling of giving you both crusts where we started from and where we are today. Um my role has uh continued to evolve and and so so let's just start macro. The world is changing or has changed, right? Whether it's COVID, whether it's the environment, whether it's ESG, whether it's um, DIE, like it's the world's changing. And as a leader, and then if I go more micro within Vistaview, the products we're offering, the buying behaviors of our customers, um, the makeup of our staff, what they care about, it's changing too. So the world's evolving and I need to evolve with it. We all do. This isn't unique to me. We all need to evolve in our in how we show up, in our leadership styles, and uh, and so I'm spending a lot of time, more than I ever have, thinking about how am I showing up, how am I communicating, what impact, positive or negative, am I having on my teams, and how and and on a daily basis, what should I be doing to best serve you know, the organization and its constituents. And so um, I am, yeah, I am thinking I'm infinitely past, um, sorry, infinitely fascinated by people um, start there. And then I'm very committed to wanting to do the homework, to do, to put in the effort to, to make sure that I'm growing and and being the leader that I want to be. Um, as the company continues to evolve. Mm, I love that's about learning from people and communicating with those people. So from your experiences, I'd love to know what is maybe a common um, misconception about leadership that you've learned through the micro of leading VistaView and your experiences and journey? Yeah, I think... Well, I think I think a common misconception is the leader is the most important person in the room. I think that's complete. Well, we're on a podcast, but I think that's really false. I think that's really inaccurate. You know, I, this is my opinion, so I'll own it. But uh, I think the single most important person in a movement is not the leader, but the first follower, because you're not a leader if nobody's following you. You're just some guy or girl shouting in the woods. That's who you are. And so the first follower, making sure, and and if we rewind the clock back to the early days of me starting VistaView, the single most important decision I think any entrepreneur will make is their first hire. Get that right. Life is easier. 
You get that wrong, life is harder, <laughs> full stop. So I, I think a common misconception is it's about the leader. It's not about the leader. It's, it's not about the first follower. I just say that because I think it's important to acknowledge surrounding yourself early with the right people. It's, and, and it'd be cliche to say it's about the people. It's not. The, the people are going to, the staff and the employees are going to be who they are. You have to make sure that that you've put them in a position with the right team to really leverage their skills and strengths and, and passion and energy. I think when I think about leadership, I think it's about when things aren't going well, people often say, well, they got to change. We got to, you know, the company is changing. They got to change. But no, the leader needs to change when it's not going well, the leader. So I'm, I'm. I mean, I've said a lot of different thoughts, but it's what I would say again is it's not about the leader ever. Leader has to have a vision. They have to have a passion and they need to be committed to that. After that, they need to just evolve and they need to adapt because the organization is what it is and where they see change that they need to see, it needs to start with them. Mm, that's powerful. Actually, one quote that always sticks in my mind, I can't remember who said it, but it was that uh, people don't work for leaders. The leader works for everybody else. And I think that was pretty powerful. I'm very similar to what you said as well. It's you're putting people in position to thrive and succeed in their roles and you're uh, of service to them to help them reach their full potential, not the other way around. So, yeah, yeah. It's, and again, it's, I think a good leader has an obligation to push push people out of their comfort zone to challenge them to achieve more than they ever believe they could themselves. I think that's a role and, and that a leader has to play. Um, but to your point and, and what you said earlier, it's you're in a servant leadership mindset. So serving people sometimes means making them uncomfortable. Absolutely. Service above self. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so I'd love to get your perspective. Uh, you've been in this beautiful city, Calgary, uh, for many years now. Um, how has it changed from your perspective from when you first started to where it is today, where you are today? <laughs> well, I've been here since 1994, so it's changed quite a bit. Um, you know what hasn't changed about Calgary that I love? It's just it's got an entrepreneurial spirit to it. You know, quote-unquote cowboys and mavericks and uh and I, and I see that. Now, the oil and gas industry is what drove this economy. And, and undoubtedly, you know, the world's appetite for hydrocarbons won't diminish in the near term. But I love the fact that there's so many dynamic people in the community looking at ways to help diversify the economy, ways to leverage the expertise we've built in oil and gas. So I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the people of Calgary, because it's, I believe that not every place I've been to, I can say this of, but if you want to make a difference, if you want to drive change, if you want to make something happen, you can do it here and people will be cheering you on. That's not everywhere. And so I like Calgary's odds. I like the fact that, you know, we've got to, a burgeoning tech uh, industry, which is where I would consider us playing. I like the fact that we have um, 
a philanthropic mindset. You know, we're a big city, but we still act like a like a small town in a lot of ways. There's a lot of community spirit. Um, you know, some of the best examples, maybe not as recent, but, you know, we look at the flood and how many people in Calgary came out to help their neighbors when they didn't have to. I mean, we look at, uh, you know, the province as a whole and when we've had the Fort McMurray fires and stuff, how people have really risen to the occasion to give back and help out. It's a, yeah, I think, again, I have a lot of faith in Calgary's resiliency and it's all about the people. Absolutely. And yeah, just to echo that as well, I think Calgary has such great people, very supportive. Um, and they're also growing tech scene as well. I've actually had the pleasure of interviewing a few uh, dynamic individuals and founders on the podcast as well. So that's great to hear that you're seeing that too, and hopefully keeps growing in the future, uh, 10, 15, 20 years from now. Yeah, no, it'll be, I, I'm certain of it. We, we do need a new arena. I don't know who's listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> I won't turn this into a political discussion, but yeah. we do need a, but, but not too soon. I've, you know what? I mean, I've got season tickets. I don't want to see the price go up, but someday we're going to need a new arena. So <laughs> that'd be a different episode. <laughs> be a different episode. <laughs> Trying to yeah, decompile the 40 year drought between Stanley cups. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the things you touched on uh, was the supportiveness of Calgary. Um, and I also read that you're a big supporter of ending family homelessness. So I just want to touch on uh, your perspectives there. What, what sort of initiatives are you uh, a part of in that realm of things? Yeah, thanks. Um, and everybody's got their, their own charity. I think, um, and, and there's so many wonderful um, deserving charities in the city and just around the world. So I don't really care what people get behind. I do think that <clears throat> as an entrepreneur, even when we had nothing, and, and again, it wasn't too long ago that we didn't have a lot. I mean, you can rewind the clock 20 years ago and it was pretty, pretty lean. We still found a way to give back something because if you travel long enough and you travel far enough, um, it's easy to see how good and I'll speak only for myself, not for anyone else, how good my life is. And I feel an obligation, for lack of a better term, to give back to the communities that have helped me and, and the communities that have helped our customers, specifically around homelessness. Um, you know, in the early days, we're big supporters of, of homeless shelters, specifically Mustard Seed was, was one that we went and, and donated. Um, as I got older, got married, had a family, you know, children's causes became a lot more, um, a lot more personal to me. Um, and, and the thought that there is a child waking up today in a city as affluent as Calgary, Alberta, Canada, Houston, Texas, New York, not knowing where their next meal's coming from or where they're going to sleep tonight is just, not only is it unfathomable, like it's unacceptable. And so it's for me really important that as the leader of Vista View, we lead from the front and 
whether you can give a little or whether you can give a lot is secondary to the fact that you just give and, and it's, and, and support your organization's staff if they want to give somewhere else as well. Like my charity is not my CFO's charity necessarily, or, you know, our, our marketing director's charity or our, you know, or our, um, our implementation consultants charity, like those aren't, they can have their own charities and we will support that. It's just important to give back. So whatever, whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm. No, the give back is real. Uh, Even for myself, I think it's very important to uh, just give back uh, no matter where you are in your journey. Uh, It could be just starting out eating, still eating the beans, or it could be eating some (laughs) steak now, but uh, just wherever you are, just giving back, I think is really important. And that's uh, my, my uh, values as well. So it's good to hear that we're aligned there. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Joe, what's just, if I could ask, I know it's your podcast, but I'll ask you a quick, do you have any particular charity or anything that you are, are passionate about or are you still exploring or uh yeah I actually work with a few charities um I actually give back a bunch of my time uh to helping them uh whether it be on for their websites or resources again more awareness but uh, i've helped uh there's a charity here in calgary called tales of help they help uh owners that don't have the financial capacity to uh give treatment to their pets. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm a big supporter of just giving back, whether it be your time, resources, or money, just uh, make the world a better place. Send me that charity that you just mentioned, and I'll make sure that it goes on the Vistaview list because we do matching and mm-hmm. uh, we'd be happy to support that charity. Oh, awesome. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be, that'd be such a pleasure. I really appreciate that, Jory. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I only have a couple more questions here for you, Jory. Uh, one thing I did want to touch on was uh, maybe you already touched on this, but what's maybe something that you're really proud of that we haven't talked about so far in this interview that you'd love to share? Um, well, I, I'll tell you where this isn't where the pride comes from, but I'll, I'll use it as context. So 23 year old started a business with $12,000. That was, that was the seed capital made it, more than my fair share of mistakes along the way to <laughs> fill <laughs> volumes of what not to do when you start a business. Found our way to where we are today. You know, along the journey, um, have won, we're on the Inc. 5000 Growth Awards. We've won Profit 500. We've won Entrepreneur of the Year. But the single greatest <clears throat> award that we've won is not, and it's not about the award, is we are three-time winners of the BBB Ethics Award or what they call the Torch Award. And so all of that is to say, you know, you can, you can get to where you are, from where you are to where you want to get to in a manner that doesn't compromise, you know, your um, integrity, that doesn't compromise how you treat people, how you treat customers, the way you do business. And I think... And I, and this isn't about me, this award is awarded to the whole team. And I, I believe that the award represents not only who we are on that day, but who we continuously aspire to be. And that's a, that's a business we can look back on when it's all said and done and be really proud of and not proud. Cause we, you know, we own three sky rises in downtown Calgary. That's not it. It's that we did things, we had some success, but we did them the right way. And I think for me, that's 
But, you know, that's, that's the legacy that I hope I can leave. And I love that you're sharing it on the podcast. <laughs> uh, where can our listeners connect, connect with you online if they want to just touch base or maybe even pick your brain on uh, follow-up questions? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So Jory Lamb, there's not many of us on LinkedIn. <laughs> J-O-R-Y-L-A-M-B. Or you can uh, reach out through VistaView Solutions. That will certainly work as well. Um, but I look forward to, you know, I'm a huge fan of the entrepreneurial spirit, Joe. And again, congrats on your success and what you're doing here with the podcast. And uh, if anybody's out there is looking for just, you know, um, guidance, introduction, whatever I can do to help you. And I would look forward to your thoughts and comments. And, and the last thing I'll say is I hope everybody at some time in their life gets the chance to jump on the entrepreneurial ride, because for me, it's been life changing. Uh, it's been, as you've heard, stressful and, and, and really tough at times, but it's also been really wonderful. And we've done some pretty great things as a group. And I, I would wish that uh, total experience on anyone who wanted to take it. Mm, thrilling right indeed <laughs> uh my last question to you jory is uh obviously this is a leadership podcast uh so i want to ask you about leadership so my last question is what does leadership or being a leader mean to you yeah i mean when i was 23 i started the business for a single reason i believed as I still believe today, many things have changed. The products have changed, you know, my salesmanship has changed, hopefully for the better, but many things have changed. But one thing that hasn't changed is our reason for being. And so I believe then as I do now that if you really, really wanna change the world, build a great business. No other vehicle will give you the resources to be able to affect change as greatly as building a great business. So. I mean, I don't know that that answers your leadership question, but I would say this, that there has to be a higher purpose when you figure what that is for yourself. I think it's really easy to lead. Hi, I'm Jory Lamb, and you're listening to Joe Momo Presents. Thanks again for watching the Joe Momo Presents podcast. For more episodes, check out joemomo.com slash podcasts. All right, see you next time.